welcome to the Resilient Pastor podcast. I am Sharon Miller, and as you may already know, this podcast is part of the much larger Resilient Pastor initiative from Barna that includes live in-person events and online events aimed at encouraging and equipping pastors and church leaders to love well and lead faithfully in a rapidly changing world. I am joined by my friends, Glenn and Rich. And in just a moment, we are going to be hearing from Bianca Altoff. Bianca is a friend of mine. We actually happened to plant churches around the same time about five years ago now. She is a founding pastor at the Father's House OC. She is also the author of a number of different books, and her latest one is about to release in August. It's called Grit, Don't Quit, Developing Resilience and Faith When Giving Up Isn't an Option. She also travels the world and speaks, and she is such a fun person to talk to as well. So I'm excited to get to that conversation. But first, We wanted to talk a little bit about the emotional side of preaching. If you heard our conversation with Heather Thompson Day, we talked a little bit more logistics and the preparation process, but for a lot of us, preaching is emotionally draining, emotionally taxing. That that is a whole journey that a lot of us go on. And so we wanted to give a little bit of time to reflecting on that. And so I wanted to start out hearing from you guys. How what is the emotional side of preaching for you like? Is it is it fun? Is it something you look forward to? Is it burdensome and draining or, or has this been kind of a a journey for you? Yes. Uh, Sharon, that's the answer to it. It's, it's been all that. Um, I've been preaching now for, um, I'm 44. I've been preaching since I was 19. It's about 25 years I've been preaching in various contexts. And um, I've certainly learned a lot of things along the way, but there is still this great emotional toll for a number of reasons. Number one, I'm speaking in the name of Jesus uh, the word of God, you know, Holy scripture. So that should shake us all up. That should make Mm -hmm. us preach with a Mm -hmm. sense of awe and Mm -hmm. understanding the weight of what we're doing here. Um, but one of the ways that I've tried to help people normalize the emotional ups and downs of preaching is by thinking through the preaching moment and the preaching process through a cruciform lens, looking at the story of Jesus. And my very simple summary of it is this. Um, there, when I look at the life of Jesus and the life of a sermon coming to life and being delivered, um, I look at the sermon, first of all, as the first stage of just conception, something happens where we go, wow, we read something, something comes alive in us. Oh, I think I have something to offer at that point. There is the the life of the sermon where I want to now figure out what does this mean for me, which is why from conception to actually preaching it, it's mostly helpful for people to have some distance in their lives, that we're actually preaching stuff that we've wrestled with to some degree or another. There's the life of a sermon, much like the life of Jesus. But then inevitably comes the death of a sermon uh, and the burial of a sermon, just like the death and the burial of Jesus. And when I think about death and burial at that stage, I think about it in two ways. I think about it existentially and exegetically. Existentially, because Hmm. Hmm. there's something inside of me that 
I, I gotta, I gotta get <laughs> yeah, my pen right? out and take notes here, Rich. Hang on one second. You know, Sorry, the, the, the going, existential pieces. There is just this real emotional thing where I thought I had something. And now I don't think I do. Can I call in sick? I don't want to preach on Sunday. Can someone else do it? Uh, and then there's the exegetical side where at that point of the sermon, I have to let good ideas die. I can't hmm. preach everything hmm. I want to preach. I have to let it die. Now, at that point, because through prayer, through conversations, uh, crying out to God, banging on the floor, uh, the hope is that resurrection comes. And, uh, and, and, and hopefully this is happening, you know, death and burial is not happening on Saturday night. Ideally, this is happening on Wednesday. You know what I'm saying? Like, like give me a couple of days to cry out for resurrection. Uh, and then prayerfully resurrection comes. And by that, I don't mean that the sermon is the best sermon we've ever preached, but that I'm preaching from a particular place of life. The sermon is then preached. And that's not the end of the story of Jesus because there's the ascension. Of Jesus. And it's at that point where we have to learn how to let the sermon go. Uh, and I, I could very easily mull over all the things I should have said and didn't say or whatever. But what does it mean for me to allow that sermon to ascend, to let it go? And it is only in the ascending that the Spirit can come to give a new conception for another word. And so when I think about the sermon process, I think about it to the story of Jesus and to help people normalize the ups and downs of preaching. Man, I My know, right? Goodness. Like that Glenn, Good there's going to there's wow. going to come a day where we ask Rich a question and he's going to say I'm you know, I've never thought about that. But that day <laughs> that day is not today. That day is not today. Not today, Satan. <laughs> so, how about Glenn, how about you? That's really great. I uh, you know, just <laughs> on the emotional toll of it. So, I, I I would preach probably a um, handful of times a year, maybe three, four times a year in my 20s. And then at 31, I began preaching weekly. So that's about 14 years now. And, and, and before that, I was a worship leader. So the emotional toll is actually pretty different. Like I, I thought, well, if you're ministering on stage and the platform, you're, you're hearing from God. But the worship leader you know, the, you're, you're not writing a new song for every Sunday, right? So even when you do write songs, which we, we, you know, I was part of teams that did that and I was doing that, but you're, you're rehearsing it, you're practicing it. And the work of the worship leader is discerning what the Holy Spirit's doing in the room. And so maybe you're, you're taking another pass through the chorus or whatever, but when you're preaching, um, th- there's more work because you've, you've, you're putting together all of this stuff. And then in real time, you are deciding or discerning if that was the right content or the right structure or not. And I, I mean, I think that's the emotional yeah. thing of like, uh-oh, this really was not the right outline. And I've been there so many times where in the midst of preaching, I've thought, gosh, that there was a simpler way to organize this sermon than what I'm doing. But here I'm in and you're having to, do I, do I change? Do I, uh, go, do I go, you know, follow through? And then I, I think if we're, you know, a particular mode of preaching for me, like I don't manuscript, uh, there is the kind of Pentecostal preaching instincts in me where I want to create enough space where I'm walking away from my notes and I'm pacing on the stage. And I feel like there's a there's a rhema sort of word. There's a word that's a now word in this moment for the people. And, and to do that work, to deliver that word, 
I think requires doing what Heschel said about the prophets. You don't just deliver the the word of God, you deliver the pathos mm -hmm. of God. You deliver the very emotion of God. And so that's the emotionally exhausting mm -hmm. work of preaching to me is it's not just content, it's the very pathos of God that is coming mm -hmm. through you. And and then when when you do that uh in that particular way, it is okay. exhausting. You know, one of the things that I say to young staff members, young people who are just learning to preach, to teach, one of the things I say to them is that the tough thing about preaching is that you can only get better by being bad publicly. <laughs> <laughs> And True. there really is no way around that is, is you have to be willing to be bad publicly. And that's what I love about that cruciform framework mm -hmm. is there's actually a, an important spiritual work that God can do if you are willing to be humbled and honestly humiliated that way is that you are experiencing a death to self. And that death to self is essential for good preaching because I think for me, and, and I don't know if this resonates with you guys, but for me, part of a huge part of the way that I've grown as a preacher is I've been able to see past myself. Does that make sense? Mm. It's, it's mm. so often I was so aware, so much of my consciousness was taken up by my own nervousness or my own wanting to perform well or my own, my wanting to appease certain people in the church or like whatever it is. Mm. And the more that you can die to that, the more you can actually be focused on God and your people and preaching what God has given you. And so it's really, really essential that you embrace the humiliation <laughs> mm, mm. of preaching. Yeah, that's such a good word, Sharon. I, so I kind of, you know, I'm an Enneagram three and the gift and the curse is you are aware of what other people are, how other people are perceiving mm -hmm. you or, or how you think they're perceiving you. And to, to do that real time, I mean, it's almost easier to be honest. Like it is easier if you if, if a person listening is in a church where it's a bigger sanctuary space, those are a little bit easier mm -hmm. because you're delivering a word to a crowd, so to speak. But that mid-sized room, sometimes even the smaller room, is much more emotionally taxing because you're like, oh, there's Susie. I know what she thinks about this. And there's Johnny. And he's going to send me an email after this one, you know. And and that, that, that work of, you know, maybe, Rich, this is the EHR, Emotionally Healthy Relationships thing of don't do mind yes, reading, okay. you know. But it's kind of hard for mm -hmm. me not to try to not to do mind reading as I'm mm -hmm. preaching. Yeah, exactly. Do you, you feel that? I think. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's every every week for me. Uh, and and the ways that that's interpreted through body language or and so and so left the room at this time as I'm preaching. And I mean, they just had to use the bathroom. You know what I'm saying? And I'm making mm -hmm. all coming to all kinds of conclusions about what I said. So um, it is it is very emotionally draining and. Sharon, to your point, you know, I, I knew there was a shift in me, I think in 2015, 2016, I had become the lead pastor of New Life in 2013. And I think in that moment, for what, for various reasons, I moved from preaching as a preacher to preaching as a pastor. And the mm -hmm. shift for me, yeah. I think, was expressed in a couple of ways where I, 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 I started preaching not out of 
performance, but trying to mm-hmm. connect the truth of scripture to the lives of, of people. I mean, so it was, uh, that was just one mm-hmm. shift that I started making and God was working in my life. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd start, I stopped in many ways or I'd maybe stop. I stopped. Mm-hmm. I think God gave me a grace to preach without the need mm-hmm. for validation. Like when I make ch- breakfast for mm-hmm. my children in the morning, I don't look to them and go, how are those waffles? Were they good? Uh, the sausage, was, was the bacon okay? <laughs> that voice. You know what voice. I mean? And it's like, I, I give them the meal. And it's just like, it, here it is. You know, I'm not looking for yeah. validation from, and I, obviously you get what I'm, the, the analogy is imperfect, but you get what I'm saying there. Uh, and then, so, I mean, for me, there was a big shift in me in terms of, am I preaching for the validation of people? Or mm-hmm. am I preaching to yeah. truly shepherd them and pastor them? Mm-hmm. Shepherd. So, so let, that's such a good insight, preaching not just as a preacher, because that's, again, that's the guest speaker thing, that's the conference circuit thing, which is, you know, whatever, it has its place. But preaching as a pastor, let's try to parse this out together, you guys. I, I, you mentioned vision. I think there's vision in there, where preaching as a pastor looks like imparting vision for the church. I, I think we could also say preaching as a pastor means speaking with a certain sort of authority or tenderness. I mean, what else would you add to that list if you say, this is a marker? And I'm asking this yeah. because, so... Uh, you know, I, I just stepped into this role here at Rock Harbor and right around the four month mark or so, I had people come up to me and go, okay, that sermon, the way you preach that today, you're our mm-hmm. pastor, you know? And I don't, I don't, I'm trying to name that. What did I do different? Was it a technique? Was it a voice? You know, it's not those. So how would you name some of those things? The only word that comes to mind for me is it, you're preaching from a place of incarnation where mm-hmm. you are in the lives mm-hmm. of people. Uh, when I preach a sermon, mm-hmm. I think of their names, their faces that come to mind where I'm no longer just trying to deliver something, but I'm trying to communicate mm-hmm. God's word to a particular person, a particular group of people mm-hmm. uh, in Queens, New York. And so for me, I think that the word is incarnational for me, Glenn. That's good. That's yeah, good. the context is huge for me. And, and that's one of the things that I find actually especially challenging when I am speaking anywhere but my own church is I, mm. I don't know the stories of the people that I'm speaking to, and I can guess what they are, but I really have my finger on the pulse of our church. And, and I've said this before, but I, I've said this before on this, this podcast, I don't, I'm not interested in preaching to anything other than what our people are you know, mm. really struggling yes. with and, and yes. how can I be walking alongside of them and their spiritual formation, like where are they? And I have a really good mm-hmm. sense for that. And so that's that's been huge for me. One question I do have for you guys, recently I was meeting with someone who asked, how are you preparing for the next presidential election? And I wanted ooh, to just ju- I, I wanted to just jump question. out the window basically when they said that. But I it, going back to that mind reading, that was something that really derailed or, or caused me to pull back or pull my punches sometimes is on what was just mm. biblical because I was afraid of how people would hear it or how they would run it through the filter of what was going on in the partisan realm. Yeah. And so in like 60 yeah. seconds or less, Glenn, um, <laughs> what did you learn last time that you're going to carry with you yeah. for the next election cycle? <laughs> I am grateful for for the mistakes and from the examples of others. So I've distilled it to three things. The one, the first thing is I, I want to preach using kingdom priorities. 
So I don't want to let the social conversation set the agenda for what the priorities are of issues to address. So kingdom priorities, and you look at that through the life of Jesus and the Gospels in particular. Secondly, I want to use biblical categories. So I think the trouble with using language or phrases that is borrowed from other fields is, number one, we're not experts in those fields, so we're going to misuse technical mm-hmm. language. Uh, secondly, sometimes those that, that language is not technical language, but it's cultural language that comes with baggage that we actually don't want to have anything to do with or don't know how to parse out well. So I want to use biblical categories. And then thirdly, I want to use pastoral sensitivities. And that comes back to what you're saying, Sharon, about I want to th- think about the people in the room not the people on Twitter who are arguing about this, which are usually not the same thing. And then the final piece of advice, this is something that Brady did really well at New Life, is the idea that you don't erode rock by dumping water over it one time. You don't Mm -hmm. dump a bucket of rock, uh, water over a rock and then you erode it. Uh, Erosion happens even over the hardest stone by the drip, 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 drip of water. And I think we have Mm -hmm. to think about preaching as the drip, 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 not the, it's election year, let's dump everything I ever wanted to say about immigration or about this or that. You you can't do that. But drip, 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 the biblical vision, and over time, uh, we'll have worked our way Mm. through it. Okay, I got got to transition now. I like that, Glenn. Uh, Drip, drip, drip. (laughs) Here we (laughs) go. Listen, uh, Sharon, I cannot wait to hear your conversation with Bianca. And I, you know, listen, all of this is possible because of partners who have been so generous and who believe in the mission uh, that all of you are, are doing, and not just us as hosts, but all of us as church leaders together. And so we want to thank World Vision. Uh, they care about the next generation, and they partnered with Barna to create a webcast called Engaging Gen Z Why There's Hope for the Next Generation and the Church. Uh, so check out that free webcast at worldvision.org slash resilience pod. And then, of course, we want to also thank Brotherhood Mutual. Uh, Brotherhood Mutual Insurance Company serves churches all around the country. I, uh, we use them. We've been so uh, helped by their services. Uh, you should check them out at brotherhoodmutual.com. All right. It's time for Sharon's conversation with Bianca. Well, hello, Bianca. How are you doing? Hi, Sharon. It's good to be here with you, friend. And it's been a minute since I've actually seen you. We'll text and have conversations, but this is a lovely treat to have a conversation and see your beautiful face. I know. I'm so excited for anyone who has not met you. I want everyone to know Bianca is one of the most, this is not exaggeration, the most naturally gifted communicators I have ever come across. And that is part of the reason why I wanted to sit down with you is that not only are you just in the the thin air of of really effective communicators, are you, you know, in that that inner circle, but you're also a woman. And that is is rare, mostly because there aren't, for women, there aren't always a lot of opportunities for women to get those reps, to, to get that experience, to have mentors. And so I, I was hoping you would just share a little bit about how you got into preaching, just, you know, maybe the like, just mm. two minute overview of, okay. you know, who first identified your gift? Where did you start getting experience? Who mentored you? That sort of a thing. Yeah. uh, Let me first say thank you for having me on this amazing resource for pastors. This podcast is a gift. And for every pastor out there, if you haven't been told, thank you for your sacrifice and what you're doing, let me be a cheerleader in the corner and say thank you for what you're doing because I'm doing it too. And there's some weeks that are harder than others. And sometimes a good, hey, thank you goes a long way. So uh, my journey is probably a little bit different than most. I 
I'm born and raised in Los Angeles. I have amazing parents. Uh, my dad is a church planner and is still pastoring after 34 years in East Los Angeles, California. And I'm so grateful for my spiritual heritage. Um, I'm probably a little bit more conservative than people might expect because of um, maybe my ministry uh, experience now, but in our church, women were definitely esteemed, but not empowered and definitely from platform or key leadership. So I never saw a paradigm for women leading and women preaching, women teaching, women communicating and um, bar women's ministry. And so there was that. I did see that. And that was led by my amazing mom, um, who is a homeschool mom of five and a quintessential pastor's wife, just so gifted in mercy, gifted in worship, gifted in the kids' ministry. And I was like the polar opposite. I am my dad with hair. And so um, (laughs) my preaching journey started simply out of, I saw my mom uh, wondering why young women weren't coming to women's ministry or even church at the time. And I was just really honest with her. I said, mom, if you're having Tuesday morning Bible studies for women, where you talk about doilies and kids, like people like myself who's in grad school and not married and, you know, 25 that it, and that not being my future anytime soon, I can't come to Tuesday morning at nine o'clock. I was like, well, what if you did at like something in the evening? I said, what if the topics just felt like more, centric to humanity rather than like a felt need, like a mom's group or mops. And she said, well, why don't you do that? Mm-hmm. And um, at the time I was serving in youth ministry and volunteering at the church. I was finishing up grad school and um, it was a need that came out of my own passion for not feeling like I had a place that I could go to. And uh, so what started as an, oh, and that's another thing. The women's ministry was like a six to nine month like Bible study that you would commit to. And I'm so non-committal. I'm quintessential millennial and I do not want to commit. Anything over six weeks gives me hives. And so I said, okay, mom, well, what if I just did like six weeks and we'll see how it went? She said, yeah, sure. So honestly, Sharon, I was 25 um, when I started teaching and it was not called preaching. It was just teaching. And uh, I started a Bible study in my dad's church and it was six weeks and it was entitled Knowledgeable Woman because I wanted women to be knowledgeable of the Bible. And uh, there was 157 people that signed up and it was supposed to be geared for young women, but older women came too. The next year it was 300. The next year it was 400. The year following was 500. And so I would have never said, oh, I'm a teacher. It was just I was passionate about like different topics and series and themes. And my dad taught exegetically through and still does teach exegetically verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And I was a little bit more thematic and we had uh, topics and um, I was able to unpack that in a way that felt like relevant to like my generation. And that's how it started. But from there it became blogging. And then from there it was like youth groups and women's teas and then women's retreats and then college campuses and churches. And now my husband and I have church planted in Orange County, California. We are now officially four years old. We survived the pandemic. And um, here we are. And that's how it started. By accident, yeah. actually. <laughs> so whenever you preach, it looks effortless because you are so naturally funny. And you have really great comedic timing, but also really strong biblical insight. And so when we were texting about this conversation. One thing that you said that really shocked me is that when you are done preaching, you always feel like it went horribly. Mm -hmm. 
And I was wondering, I, I think that's actually really common either on the front end or the back end. I know yeah. some pastors who really agonize like the 24 hours before <laughs> they preach, they have this like full on dark night of the soul. <laughs> but could you say just more about like what, what is going on there? Like what's underneath that for you? Yeah. So first, um, I mean, I, I have a, like a shake in my throat and I don't want this to get emotional, but when you say that, mm -hmm. it looks so effortless and comedic timing. Um, I, thank you. Cause I don't feel like that at all. I do not feel like that at all. In fact, Mondays are really hard for me. And I now know how four years into church planning and church leading and being the primary communicator at our church, I learned that I have to backload my, my Mondays with meetings. Otherwise I am in my feelings and I'm self-critical and I'm self-loathing. Uh, so I texted you that, and I don't think I've been that honest with anyone. So I love that we get to put my private text message out for the public to know. <laughs> Uh, Sharon, I'm actually glad we get to talk about this because I think there is this misnomer that in doing the Lord's work, we're content, you know, we commit our best and he does the rest. You know, we, we could mm -hmm. say that, but for me, and I can only give my perspective is, um, I'm now seeing that when we preach, we are warring against the wages of the enemy. We're warring against darkness. We are warring against a spiritual realm. And not only is it exhausting, it comes up against our psyche. No one told me that. Mm. And so yeah. I'm thinking I'm putting together a Bible study that would be, you know, life-changing for people and give them practical handles on how to understand the Bible and apply it to their life. Hey, God's going to look favorably upon that. And all the angels will rejoice when one says yes to Jesus. That is true, but there's also a dark side, literally. And yeah. so um, for me, uh, I don't have a formal uh, theological education. I have, I, I went, I, I'm, I'm a Bill Gates millennium scholar. I went to undergrad and had a 3.8, went to grad school, graduated with a 4.0 on full ride scholarship. I'm not saying I'm dumb. I just don't have a traditional theological background. Mm -hmm. And um, as my daddy says, like I have my degree in desertology as in like, I went through the desert mm. and that's why the place that I preach out of my that's husband. That's a good the word. <laughs> My husband, on the other hand, um, he has uh, two masters and he's currently in Fuller getting his PhD in pneumatology. Like, uh, and, and yet he has said, B, you are called and gifted and anointed to preach. So I don't want you to feel like because you don't have a formal theological background that you, you're unable or unqualified to do this. And I love it. Thank you for the affirmation, Matthew. I love you. You're the best. However, it does play mm -hmm. into me constantly feeling like I have to check my theology. Um, what feels very scary right now is, you know, so all of our sermons, sharing your sermons, every message you preach now is digital and people will take snippets and, you know, they take one snippet out of context and it could lean towards, wait a minute, is this heresy? You know, it's yeah. just so scary. And so I feel like a failure most of the time because I feel like I, I, I hear, oh gosh, now we're talking about comparison. Now we're talking about traffic comparison, but I hear different communicators. And I'm like, how did yeah. you get that? How did you mm -hmm. go there? What did you read? You know, I listened mm -hmm. to John Tyson or John Mark Comer and they talk mm -hmm. about the 17 books that they read in the last hour. And I'm annoyed because I'm like, how are you guys doing yeah. this? And then I hear people, you know, bring some fresh revelation, something very prophetic. And I'm just like, how did you have time to do that? So I think mm -hmm. comparison is like a huge trigger yeah. for me. And so yeah. I will only listen to other uh, communicators on Mondays. So I do hmm. like a six or seven mile run on Mondays. And that's where I'm listening to all of mm -hmm. my podcasts. Because if I hear anything too close to Sunday, 
I will begin okay. to think I'm the worst. I am incapable. I am not enough and I'm uneducated. So I think that's the very long answer to give the reason why I feel like a failure um, mo okay. more times than not. Now, by Tuesday, I'm back with Jesus. We're in this. God, this is the Resilient Pastor podcast. And we have to talk about like, you have to make the mental mind shift like, no, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to try out this again. And mm -hmm. who I am today as a preacher, teacher, and communicator of God's word, word will not be the person that I am in 10 years. And in that, mm -hmm. I find solace. And in that, I am like, I'm, I'm only going to get yeah. better. If I can stay the yeah. course, I'm only going to get better. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being so honest, even if I like forced you to. But. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Um, but really, like I, I think that's actually really common. Like I've had, I've talked to many pastors who have literally had panic attacks backstage mm. before going up to preach. And so I think there is a lot of anxiety around preaching. I think you're exactly right. There's a lot of spiritual warfare. I did yeah. not appreciate how deeply Satan hates the church until yeah. I planted one. Right. But I think for you to name as someone who is naturally gifted, who is very done very well in this area, for you to say, I still have to go to battle against the enemy every week is going to be really encouraging to people to hear. And so thank you for just opening up about that. Wait, can, that I, can I also <laughs> include something? Because you said naturally gifted three times in this conversation. One, I'm taking note. Two, it's not natural, baby. It is not natural. I am <laughs> very, no, I'm not even kidding you. I, I, I think I communicate naturally. Like I just like to talk. I was born a talker, but when communicating the gospel, I, Sharon, I'm going to send you my notes. They're color coded. Yeah. They're bullet mm -hmm. pointed. Yeah. highlights on, on slides so that even people running AVL know when a slide is supposed to go up. Because to me, if I have 25 to 45 minutes, depending on where I'm preaching or teaching uh, to communicate the word of God, I want to make sure that I maximize every moment. And so I love mm -hmm. that you say that it's natural, yeah. but it's actually a lot of work. I take That's this a great point. so That's a great seriously. Point. And so that I love is you a for good thinking point it's <laughs> I think for anyone who thinks, well, what if I'm not naturally gifted? Mm. Am mm -hmm. I just not going to be able to reach people? So that's a really great point. But one question, so Barna has done a lot of research on yeah. what is weighing on pastors, what is taking pastors out. And one of the top factors that pastors listed as impacting their ability to lead their church was it, the immense stress of the job. Yeah current political divisions, mm -hmm. and then feeling tired or burned out. And so I was curious if for you in the last three years specifically of leading a church plant through a pandemic, uh, does any of that resonate specifically <laughs> in the area? I mean, I know it resonates broadly, but I'm curious if you felt at all the pressure to pull your punches um, did you feel a temptation to hedge at all when we, everything was so polarized? Like, was your preaching affected at all by the, like that pan, those pandemic years? So I'm going to say the answer is D because it's all of the above. 
on mm-hmm. any given Sunday. But um, so f- for us, both my husband and I planted the church and we both communicate, but I'm the primary communicator and he's taken uh, a lot of the executive admin um, and leadership development side. And so both of us felt very passionately about what we were communicating, but it mm-hmm. was a very fearful time. In addition to you know everything that was going on uh, politically, geopolitically, uh, culturally, financially, and also in the pandemic, uh, it was it was it felt like uh, walking through no man's land. That scene from Wonder Woman, you know, where you're mm-hmm. at any moment there could be a booby trap. At any moment, something's gonna mm-hmm. something new is gonna resurrect. So it was a very 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 trying time. And then um, also it felt like you couldn't ever say anything right because you're gonna mm-hmm. upset somebody yeah. and someone's gonna be offended and someone's gonna leave. But this was augmented by the fact that we didn't even have a building. So we lost our building during the pandemic. Uh, (laughs) It's a great story, Sharon. Every church planner out there will understand. But we had a sheriff show up at our house at 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning during the pandemic, stood 10 feet away from us to tell us that there was a lien on our building and that there was a lien on our credit. And we were like, we don't even have a building. We found out that the building was going bankrupt. And they, that week, that was, that was the Lord because that week they asked us to pay a month, a year in advance, and they would take off two months of our rent. And so we thought it was a sweet deal until we found that they were in bankrupt and we had to break into the venue and took all of our stuff out in the middle of the night because they were going to keep it. They were hijacking it. (laughs) I I know it's funny. It's funny. It's not funny, but it's so funny. So anyway, all of this stuff was going on politically. There was all this stuff that was going on internally. In addition to, we had people move down and help us church plant that during the pandemic, they were like, you know what? We really long for home and I couldn't fault them. I couldn't fault them. Honestly, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. I longed for home. I wanted to go mm-hmm. suckle, you know, with my mom and dad, suck my thumb mm-hmm. with my mom and dad. Like it was just a lot. So the, it, it was like, we felt like we were going to lose people because of political changes within California to mask mm-hmm. or not mask, you know, to, you know, are we blue? Are we, it was just, it was so many things, Sharon. Yeah. And then this was augmented by this on top of everything else was, um, I didn't realize how much of an issue preaching as a woman and leading as a woman and pastoring as a woman still would, would present itself. And it didn't really come to light until we went digitally. So we met physically and we were not live as a church plant. And then when COVID happened, then everything went live. And so what we saw was just this really... It's fine. I understand people's conviction about why women shouldn't be pastors and preach mm-hmm. and lead. I, I get it. Thank you. But like mm-hmm. the caustic vitriol that came out of that, what yeah. just felt like kicking me and spitting on me when I was already down. So yeah. all of the above, Sharon, it was a very, very hard season. It was a very, very hard time. And I think, um, what started as like, it doesn't matter to me. It's okay. I feel like I'm called. I'm going to honor the God call that he has put on my life to really questioning that because it was Mm -hmm. every single day and it was on all sides and it was really really hard. We'll get back to our conversation in just a second, but first I want to take a moment to acknowledge again some of our incredible partners on this project. First, I want to thank World Vision, so be sure to check out the webcast that World Vision hosted with Barna about engaging Gen Z and raising up the next generation of church leaders. You're going to get to hear from Gen Z themselves, along with pastors and leaders, on how to engage today's generation and make an impact on those to come. So go to worldvision.org slash resilient P-O-D, resilient pod. That's worldvision.org slash resilient pod for free access. And we also want to thank Brotherhood Mutual. Uh, Brotherhood Mutual Insurance Company is a leading national provider of ministry-focused insurance and services. 
Uh, their headquarters are in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and they have uh, had this amazing heart for serving the church, keeping ministries thriving and flourishing. For more information, visit brotherhoodmutual.com. Well, that leads us to the last thing that I want to make sure we make time for. That's why we're, if anyone feels like we're talking fast, it's because there's so much we want to cover in (laughs) a very limited period of time. But you have a book coming out called Grit Don't Quit. I love this. That title is Bianca. I love it so much. (laughs) Grit Don't Quit, Developing developing Resilience and Faith When Giving Up Isn't an Option. Um, And so I was just curious if church planting was the inspiration for this at all. (laughs) Well, I will say the original church planter was the inspiration. So Paul the Apostle is my Bible boyfriend. I'm obsessed with him. You know this. You hear me talk about it all the Uh time. There is not one message that I will give without peppering in some Pauline theology. Okay. I just, I'm obsessed with him. I'm besotted with him. Um, so I would say it's, it's, it's the through line is the life of Paul. However, um, between story, scripture, and science, I really want people to have practical handles on what it means to not only identify the nomenclature of resilience, perseverance, endurance, AKA grit, but then also how we apply it to our lives. And there Mm -hmm. are some church planning stories in there. Like the one time, we showed up, I, I affectionately call it Stripper Sunday because unbeknownst <laughs> to us, the thunder from down under was at, and for those that don't know, I, I want this, it's a family-friendly show, so we're going to keep it clean, but um, this is when grown men dance erotically and um, take off their clothes. Anyway, so th- they were at the venue that we rented on Saturday and we show up at six o'clock on Sunday. And I mean, there's, there's drug paraphernalia, there's alcohol bottles, mm-hmm. Girl, there was a weave. There was a weave in the green room. Like somebody left their fake hair in the green that. room. Okay, okay. I remember that. But then the one that just got me, the thing that just did me in is I was stepping onto the stage and there was like this substance on the floor and I went down to wipe it up and I realized it was body oil. Not anointing oil, honey. It was body oil. And I remember that moment. Like it took my breath. I said, Lord, I am going to preach the word of God on a stage where people were gyrating their oiled bodies on. Like, this is not what I signed up for. Okay. So when we talk about grit and resilience, to me, it's not something that is theoretical or theological. It's so my life. And for every pastor Mm -hmm. out there, they're going to understand the nitty gritty is what it takes to survive building a church. And yeah. um, I think like no one typifies that more than Paul the Apostle, but that's really the core of it, Sharon. It wasn't written mm-hmm. for church planners, but I definitely have a conviction because nothing has revealed grit and resilience more than mm-hmm. church planning. Yeah. Well, we are just about out of time, but I wanted to ask you one kind of final question related to your book. You know, if, if people are curious to know more about what what Bianca has learned from scripture and just from church planting, I've heard a lot of these stories and they are pretty good. Um, I forgot about the weave story, but <laughs> I'm curious for anyone who is listening right now who just had like a really tough conversation with someone in their church or who got some like a really harsh email or is just Mm. honestly exhausted. Yeah. We have both been in that place Mm -hmm. where you're just like, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Like what, like I don't enjoy this anymore. This is painful. I feel like I'm suffering. Yeah. 
what is one word of encouragement that maybe has has sustained you mm-hmm. in those really difficult moments? I'm going to default to story because I think that that's probably mm-hmm. the best way to demonstrate this rather than data or theology in this case, because I want to speak to the heart of every church planner out there and every pastor out there, every ministry leader who listens to this podcast. Um, we were just about to launch the church. And uh, prior to launching the church, I started a prison initiative that would go in and resource the incarcerated. And um, we were a couple weeks old as a church and we were still very portable. And I remember vividly, um, I planned a conference to go into prisons in Texas, specifically a city called Lubbock, Texas. This was, I was flying out on Monday. And on Sunday, we loaded up the truck and like it's a Tetris game. I mean, we figured out the system. We locked everything in there. I jumped off of the bed of the truck and I thought I broke my ankle. I ended up spraining my ankle very, very bad, but I was on the floor. I blacked out. I was in immense pain. I'm in the ER room with my husband. It's midnight. And I told him, I was like, I, I can't get on the plane. I can't get on the plane. And he said, Bianca, your foot's not broken. And if you don't get on the plane, I'm not going to force you to get on the plane, but if you don't get on the plane, all the volunteers that are flying in for this, plus the warden of the prison and the inmates, like what, what are you going to say to them? And I'm like, okay, Gil, all right, I hear you, you know, whatever. So I wake up on Sunday morning and I was looking for every excuse. I actually, I had every excuse to quit. It really did to just say, I'm so sorry, I can't do this. It's legitimate. I had a legitimate reason to quit. And I think there's people out there listening right now where you have legitimate reason to throw in the towel. Hmm. I, I, I had a come to Jesus moment with God and I was just like, okay, I'm getting on this plane. I'm on a wheelchair, fly to Texas. I'm there. I'm in, I'm drugged up. I, I can say this on a Christian podcast. I'm literally drugged up. I'm in a cast. I'm in a wheelchair. Um, preach my guts out. We host not one, not two, but three conferences. And I met a woman there who asked me if she could rap in the microphone during worship time. And, you know, when someone who is 6'1 in a prison onesie in a jumper asks you to take the microphone, the only answer in that moment is yes. I didn't know if she can sing. I didn't know if she can rap. I don't know if she was going to curse. Like, I had no idea. But I was like, oh, okay. And her the microphone. And she leads us in this chorus of this song that, like, everyone in the in the, in the sale in the cell pod new and the chorus I'll never forget ends with this hook that says, it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. I'll never forget this woman. It was such an amazing moment. We ended up celebrating Jesus. Lives came to know, people came to know Jesus. It was a phenomenal moment. I get on a plane. That's the last I think I'm going to see of this woman. Four years later, I'm speaking at a conference in Dallas, Texas, I got off the stage and in quintessential Bianca form of self-loathing and insecurity, I start going over, oh, I'm going to cry, dang it, like how bad it was. And I wish I could have just done justice to the passage. And I'm in the hallway, I'm on my way to the bathroom and um, down the hallway, I see a volunteer um, standing about six feet tall, a volunteer waving her arms to say hi. And I wave back. And she calls me and I wave again. And she said, it's me, it's me. And I'm not going to say her name to protect identity on this podcast. But then she says, it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. Sharon, the girl that led us in worship in prison four years earlier, who said yes to Jesus and led us into a raucous roar of worship, had been released and found out the conference that I was speaking at in Dallas and drove from Dallas, from Lubbock, Texas, to Dallas, Texas, 
It was a sold out event. She volunteered in hopes of running into me. We run into each other and I give her this huge hug. And if somebody would have told me that the church planner that wanted to throw him the towel and quit, who sprained her ankle after tearing down church and was drugged up in a hospital room at midnight and yet still got on a plane to preach the gospel so that somebody could say yes to Jesus and see the fruit of it four years later, that is why we do what we do. Because we don't know the seeds that are being sown. We don't know the fruit that's being, that will come to harvest. We might not even see the promised land, but we do this in the wake of those that come after us and say, though life has knocked me down, it will, it will not knock me out. I will get back up and I will move forward. I will preach another Sunday. I will set up and tear down another Sunday. I will send another email. I will change another diaper. I will do one more fundraising call. I will do one more salvation invitation. We show up, not for ourselves, not for our pride. We show up for the generation that's in our wake saying that if they got back up after that, then I can too. And that is why I can't quit. Well, I can't think of a better note to end on. And so as we close out, would you pray for for anyone who's feeling like we know that in the kingdom of God, our labor is never in vain, Yeah, but it is so hard to remember that on some days. And so would you pray, would you close us out by praying for anyone who's listening, who is really needing that Holy Spirit encouragement today? Heavenly Father, we come before you. Spirit of the living God, we invite you into this space and place, into our hearts, into our homes, in this moment, into our ears. And we just ask that your spirit give us what we need. In this moment, Lord God, if we need joy, will you give us joy? If we need love, will you give us love? If we need peace, will you give us peace? If we need hope, will you give us hope? God, you know what it is that we need. Not our spouse, not our kids, not our staff. Know what we need more intimately than you know. So in this movement, in this moment, God, I pray that your spirit just so move in our hearts and give us what we need. I pray for an overflow, an overflow of hope, an overflow of joy, an overflow of peace, an overflow of love. In this moment, for those that feel like they want to throw in the towel. They want to proverbially just just uproot everything and walk away. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that they don't look Mm -hmm. at today, but they think of their tomorrow and they think of their next year and they think of the next decade, that they don't think of themselves and they don't think of their pain and they don't think of their loss, but they think of their children and their children's children. God, we do Mm -hmm. not build churches for ourselves. We build churches for the next generation and for those that are weary, for those that are tired, for those that are weak. I pray through the power of your spirit that you breathe on us, God, that you breathe on us in this moment. You remind us of the why. Give us what we need to sustain us when we think that we can't do it. You are the God who is more than more than enough. Your word says that you are able. So we speak to that able miracle working God to give us what we need in this moment. To you be the glory in your son's name. Jesus, we say and conclude with a mighty amen. 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 I love you, Sharon. Thank you for this podcast. I love you too. Once again, a big thank you to our partners, World Vision. We're so grateful for the way they care so deeply about this generation of emerging leaders that God is raising up for this season and mobilizing in His church. And that's why World Vision and Barna partnered for a special webcast, Engaging Gen Z, why there's hope for the next generation and the church. Remember that you can get free access to the webcast by going to worldvision.org slash resilientpod. And thank you once again to Brotherhood Mutual, Brotherhood Mutual Insurance Company is a leading national provider of ministry-focused insurance and services. Uh, They've got an incredible heart for serving the church, keeping ministries thriving. 
right there from their headquarters in Fort Wayne, Indiana. For more information, visit brotherhoodmutual.com. Friends, thank you for listening. As always, if this was helpful to you, uh, don't forget to subscribe or share, like, um, uh, all of that stuff. Follow uh, wherever you're listening to your podcast. And pastors and leaders, above all, remember that we're praying for you, and we'll catch you next time on the Resilient Pastor Podcast.